0: WDEV, Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, January 3rd. Happy New Year. The legislature is back in session and they get right to work. No pomp and ceremony. Back to the committee rooms. And Phil Scott, the governor, gives a state of the state address this week with his agenda. And later this week, on the anniversary of January of the January 6th insurrection, President Biden is slated to give uh, an address about his thoughts on that and democracy going forward. I can't wait for the governor's uh, speech because what the governor does in his State of the State address is he lays out his vision for the upcoming legislative session, and he asks specific things of the legislature. And then legislative leaders respond uh, with uh, what they think of the governor's proposals. And then we spend the next four months uh, arguing, debating, and figuring out how to go forward. And uh, it is a show of democracy that's always uh, intriguing, fun, oftentimes difficult. We will have Many of the lead players in this saga on the show as we go forward, Uh, the governor, the speaker of the House, Joe Kerwinski, president of the Senate, Philip Baruth, committee chairs, uh, all will be on the show this Friday. uh, Just to do some housekeeping, we'll have uh, Waterbury Representative Tom Stevens. He is chair of the House General Affairs and Housing Committee. He'll be on the show Friday morning. And we'll uh, talk about the housing agenda, among other things, with Tom on the show on Friday. Today on the show, super fast internet. You got that right. And it's personal. After 12 years of outages, slow speed, can't download video, can't do this show from my home studio, can't live without fast internet, it has arrived in my pocket of East Montpelier. But a New Year's present. We'll talk to the executive director of a nonprofit that got the job done when the other guys could not. At 10 a.m., we're revisiting a subject I tried to do last week, but scheduling got in the way. The safety of public officials. We're seeing a spate of threats against government officials, whether it's the president of the United States or a school board member in Vermont. And it is here Right here in our backyard, former Secretary of State Jim Condos, who was on the receiving end of many of those threats while in office, will join us to discuss how serious it is, why it's happening, and what we need to do to respond. We want your phone calls. Give me a shout at 244-1777. My email is vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. What do you think of high-speed Internet? Do you welcome it? Or does it just bring all the bad stuff, too much TV and conspiracy theories into your life? I have a friend in Woodbury who says, the slower internet, the better. So what do you think about all this? And what do you think about the increasing threats to public officials? Where did these threats come from? When did it start happening and why? You can hear us on your AM and FM dial. And worldwide online at wdevradio.com. Just click on the listen button. It's really simple. Our worldwide audience continues to grow. And if you miss the show, you can catch up with the podcast that we make available very soon, just after the show ends. And we'll take your calls uh, whenever we can fit them in. All this and more on today's show. But first, this week in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed his name to the Emancipation Proclamation. He said, I never in my life felt more certain that I was doing right than I do in signing this paper. If my name goes into history, it will be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. The proclamation provided that as of January 1st, 1863, all persons held as slaves anywhere that was still controlled by the Confederate government would be, quote, then, thenceforward, and forever free, unquote. It was something of a dull legalistic document, as the historian Richard Hofstetter famously said. Hofstetter's textbook was famously in my high school history class, but it did the job. And although Lincoln personally opposed human enslavement, he did not believe the federal government had the power to end it in the states. And with that limitation, his goal and that of the fledgling Republican Party that he led was only to keep it from spreading into the Western territories. From the early days of the war, though, Black Americans recognized the war must address enslavement. Immediately, they began to escape across U.S. Union military lines. At first, hoping to appease border state residents, Union officers returned former slaves to their enslavers. But by the end of May, as it became clear that enslaved people were being pressed into service for the Confederate military, Union officers refused to return them. Lincoln wanted to move faster on the proclamation, but his Secretary of State, William Seward, urged him to wait until after a Union victory to make the announcement so it would not look as as if it were prompted by desperations. And when Union troops won the Battle of Antietam, Lincoln thought it was time. He issued a preliminary proclamation under the war power of the executive. And the, the the plan did not sit well with Lincoln's political opponents. They attacked him for fighting a war on behalf of black Americans and voters listened. Lincoln's party lost the midterm elections badly. But he went ahead anyway. And on December 31st, 1862, newspapers received word that the president would issue the proclamation he had promised. Black congregations gathered that afternoon and into the night in their churches to pray for the end of enslavement and the realization of the principle of human equality. And the next day, Lincoln delivered. Because his justification for the proclamation was to weaken the South's war effort, the areas affected by the proclamation had to be those still held by the Confederacy, but the larger meaning of the document was clear. The U.S. would no longer defend the racial enslavement that had been part of its birth and would admit black men to national participation on terms of equality. In less than two years, the nation had gone from protecting slavery to ending it, reworking the foundations of our government. It was a moral victory and a tactical one, Lincoln concluded. Upon this act, sincerely believed to be an act of justice warranted by the Constitution, upon military necessity, I invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of Almighty God. The politics behind the proclamation were messy and the road to full equality in a free economy messier. Indeed, if you saw the remarks of Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley last week, and the reaction to it on the reasons for the Civil War, it turns out we're still arguing about this. But in the end, Lincoln rid the nation of what Thomas Jefferson called the stain of our, on our country. He freed the slaves to preserve the Union and a democratic system of government. As we embark on 2024, that's not a bad thing to remember. When we come back, fast internet. And you're listening to Vermont Viewpoint, and I'm Kevin Ellis, and you're listening to WDEV. We're back, and we're talking about fast internet. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. I'm Kevin Ellis, and I'm hoping that uh, our first guest today, Janelle Smith, is with us. Uh, Janelle, welcome to the show. If you're with us, if not, I'll send you a text. <laughs> Is she with us? Okay. I, I guess not. Okay, so uh, we'll see if we can get Janelle on the line. Um, so at my house, uh, the uh, last week it happened, finally. Workers trudging through my backyard with cables over their shoulder, connect, connecting, containing microscopic lines of glass known as fiber. They then hooked them up to the utility pole on the road next to my house and connected it to my utility box on my house. And then a call from a guy named Carl asking if he can come out and turn it on. Eureka. How did it happen? Why did it take so long? Five miles from the state Capitol to get reliable internet that allows me to do this show from a home studio Download complex data files, watch a movie while another family member is also working. How how will that change my life? And for these questions, we've invited Janelle Smith uh, on the show. She's the executive director of CV Fiber, which is the private nonprofit that has made all this happen. And let's see if we have Janelle on the show. Don't know. Oh, I think we've got Janelle. Janelle Smith, welcome to the show. Are you with us?
1: I sure am. Good morning.
0: Hey, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, so, my, as I just said in the intro, uh, my life has changed. Uh, suddenly, I've got, it seems, unending, uh, never, never ending speed uh, in my internet, five miles from the state capital in Montpelier. So uh, we, we asked you to come on the show to tell us how did this happen? Why did it happen? And, uh, you know, and just uh, join in my my personal excitement about how my my life is going to change. And let's explain to the listeners how it's going to change. But first, uh, I, I've introduced you. You are the executive director of CV Fiber. You're the private nonprofit that made this happen when others could not uh, tell us. How suddenly is there fast internet at my house in East Montpelier? Uh,
1: yes, um, I will. Uh, just to correct, we are a public nonprofit. We are uh, a municipal utility district. Uh, we are an arm of the state made up of 20 communities in central Vermont, including Montpelier and 19 communities surrounding Montpelier. Um so I would like to ask you how your life has changed and I'm so glad that we were able to get you high speed internet to your house, Kevin. Um how has this how has this changed your life? Can you give me an example?
0: Well well first of all, uh I can do this show from my home studio. That's number one. Wow. Uh, okay,
1: so yeah. that is that is huge, right?
0: Right. It it's and, and there's a but there's a long list. Uh, I'm, you know, I've obviously there's the stuff that you read about that everybody is going to enjoy. You can you can watch, uh, you know, your Netflix TV show without interruption. And it's it just makes sort of things a lot easier if you're a data geek, which I am not. But if you are, you can download files faster. I was over Christmas. Uh, my daughter was visiting, and she was downloading some massive document, and it took an hour. Uh, Now, uh, depending on which plan you buy from CV Fiber, you can download that in mere seconds. So it's going to enable uh, me and others around me, I think, to work faster. We can get to the downsides of all this but but basically it gives me a huge amount of flexibility both in my professional life and my personal life that's my answer
1: yes yes so so the way we did this is tremendous technology so high speed internet runs on glass fibers which uh this is broadband high speed internet and it will make any other kind of internet cable and such seem extremely slow. So what you're describing um your ability to watch shows on Netflix that would be download speed. So that's the speed at which data comes to you as you're watching Netflix. Um your your um, your upload speeds are data that goes out to the world from you. Um, And so that would be uh, those upload speeds that, for instance, doing the radio show from your home includes download and upload equally. So one of the distinctive qualities of the CV Fiber Internet product is that we have what is called symmetry, symmetrical speeds. So that means that you get the same high speed for data upload as you get for data download. And this is so important in any sort of reciprocal communication where information has to both go out and in, such as conference calls, radio shows, and there are several other examples. Um, so th- that's the quality of the network. Our goal, and um, so far successfully so, has been to offer high-speed world-class internet so you are getting the best of the best available on the market and that is the same internet that you would be able to get in any major city in the world so that is that is the what (laughs) the the how well a lot of a lot of hard work from dedicated volunteers starting five years ago in um in 2018 We started CV Fiber, and I was not part of CV Fiber at the time, but a a group of dedicated volunteers got together and created this idea of bringing high-speed Internet to rural Vermont because there was a gap to fill. That gap is, it is extremely expensive to build in rural Vermont due to just the mere construction challenges. And also because you can only get a certain number of subscribers per mile. So it does not make business sense uh, from the traditional corporate um, standpoint because you would have to charge too much in order for this to happen and and people would not subscribe. So in in steps, community groups, and then in steps, the, uh, the community broadband board, VCBB has been tremendous in this. And an act was created so that towns could band together and create communications union districts, similar to, like, a school district or a water district, so that we could have the sole purpose of bringing high-speed Internet to rural Vermont. So... so act 71 was created and from that you need to fund a project <laughs> so the money that came in from the american rescue plan act also known as arpa was the fund that initially started this that allowed us to begin the process of building and operating the network now we did receive a re- close to 30 million dollars for our cud it will cost over sixty five million dollars, so we are currently looking at other funding sources so that we can continue constructing and operating this uh, this network that we've started um, so you
0: it's it's a fascinating that that's that's a subsidy that's a federal government subsidy and after this show there is a my friend uh Bill Sayre has a show which is um sort of focused on the free market and uh, sort of, uh, you know, market-based solutions to these things. And I love debating with Bill. And this is a really good one because this is a case where the federal government stepped in, saw a need, appropriated the money and injected that money into communities all over the country to make this happen. There are those who would say that this job should be left to the private sector uh, that if you don't have good internet, you should, I I guess you should move to uh, a downtown where it has fast internet. And if you want to live in the country, you don't necessarily need to have uh, fast internet, but I, you know, this is, we made a decision as a society that, that we wanted it in the countryside and in rural areas. So we did it. I mean, I, there is that argument out there, right? I mean, this is an example of government stepping in and 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 funding something that we think we need in rural areas. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. There's two issues that you that you pointed at there, Kevin, and I, I think both need to be addressed. And that is the private versus the the private versus the public, and yeah. um, and who has responsibility for this critical infrastructure, and then the second one goes to um, choice or uh, or rural versus urban, and that is should there be a choice for high speed internet um, and and should there be a difference between what you have access to in a rural environment versus what you have access to in a more urban environment? So let's touch on let's touch on that first, the, the the rural versus urban first. So I am going to compare this to electricity. And the reason for that is because what we're doing now with high speed internet is similar to what we did in nineteen forty three with electricity, the rural electrification of Vermont. And what 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 that did for farms? I'm going to explain the benefit for uh, and the parallel benefit um, between um, electricity and broadband. In 1943, farmers in Vermont were suddenly able to use electrical um, milking systems for their cattle for their cow cows for the farms, and they were also able to refrigerate the milk. And it improved the agriculture as the agricultural economy of Vermont tremendously. Similarly, we now with high speed internet, farmers and in the agricultural communities will have access to apps that will measure perhaps the um, level of minerals in the soil or that can communicate quickly to vendors or customers so that suddenly we can be more efficient with our farming. Now this expands to every every economic uh, piece of Vermont. This isn't just agricultural. I'm using this as an illustration to say that when we talk about urban versus rural, we must look at the benefit of what a critical infrastructure does for the rural community, so that we can continue to operate and and compete in in a world economy. Even in 1943, we we saw the benefits of critical infrastructure in rural Vermont.
0: Janelle Smith is my guest. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint, and we're talking about fast internet uh, and and the benefits and that comes with it. And before the break, Janelle, you were talking about uh, the benefits for farmers. I, I can give you another another example. Uh, I have a neighbor who is about to hook up to CV Fiber, and he specializes in uh, technical solutions for farmers, uh, including putting. Uh, collars around cows so that you can, via your phone, uh, move cows from pasture to pasture without having to walk out there and move them yourself. And that seems to be a huge time save for farmers. But before the break, you were talking about that.
1: Yeah, good point. There, the the uh, benefits to to farming are um, are tremendous. There are several uh, ways that we could improve. Uh, productivity in this and other industries, but yeah. So when 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 we started talking about rural versus urban um, connectivity and whether there should be a difference between what is accessible to um, rural Vermonters versus someone in a more urban setting, we talked a bit about, or you referred a bit about choice. Um, is it a choice? And I wanted to reiterate that. Um, we are operating on the existing utility network. So if the impact is minimal, we'll be putting fiber. We are putting fiber on the existing utility poles. So that is how we're constructing um and and you can choose to subscribe to CB Fiber services or not. So it does remain a choice. and in fact, the revenues are part of our business model for long term sustainability.
0: Um, can we talk? Can we stick with the technical just for a minute in terms of how this happens? Uh, I, in the intro, I said, you know, there were a bunch of guys that were walking through my backyard, literally with cables over their shoulders, dragging it through the yard and then climbing uh, using a crane or climbing up the pole and attaching it to the pole. Tell us more about how the technology actually works.
1: Sure. So there is the, there is the light that comes from the operating – net the operation part of the network. And so each – when you see someone hanging fiber, uh, that means that the fiber is there, but it still needs to be lit. It still needs to be uh, powered by electricity. And so what we're doing is we are placing our – what I might refer to as a lighthouse um, or an optical light terminal oh. – um it, close enough to the light so that it can so that it can travel a certain distance um and this and, and as such we we have our lighthouse or our operating location that is uh that is powering the network and then we have the fiber itself running from that to each individual um, connection point, and then that light speaks to our operator system. That's Wheatfield Champlain Valley Telecom, and they're a tremendous operating partner for us. And they they the the light speaks to them. So and then and then goes to the rest of the world from there, known as backhaul. So there's a lot of techno speak, but what what that is is data going at the speed of light through through uh, fiber. Strands that are hung on the utility poles. So that fire, that that speed of light. Think of it as a sunrise. How quickly the light can get from point A to point B. And so the light comes from the uh, from the operator to the OLT or lighthouse, and then to the uh, the user, the end user. And that is that is the technology. Think of it as as
0: as light. Right, and. And tell us about the Champlain Valley Telecom connection. You're, you're a you're a public municipality, as you said, but you're in partnership with a private. I would call them a utility. But tell us more about that relationship.
1: Sure. And this goes back to the second point that we had initially started this conversation with, and that
0: was is
1: should this be a private or a public um, endeavor? And the answer to your question is it must be both. You can't, you can't put this entirely in the hands of the, um, public sector because, uh, we, we need the private sector, um, operation, operations. We need the private sector expertise. I, I, you know, I, uh, the public sector expertise. I came from the, uh, from the, um, private sector and, um, many of our partners are private, Uh, or public, uh, private sector and many of our partners are public sector. So we need both. We need everyone. This is, we know that it can't be simply a a private sector endeavor because we tried that and we saw that it failed because the business model does not make sense. Um, However, if we only made this a public sector endeavor, um, we wouldn't be able to get the expertise and the industry knowledge to make this happen. So it must be, it, it has to be both. And Waitsfield Champlain Valley telecom is our, is our utility partner. They are a, um, they are a private sector utility, as you mentioned Um, our, our engineers and our construction management project management and RTC also, they are in the, uh, they're in the private sector. And, and our partners um VCBB VCuda, that's the CUD association we we're all together working together as as public entities to make this happen um through through policy and um and working working together with the private sector so it it really is an endeavor that must be filled by both the public and private sectors
0: and and how long has this effort been going on and when does it get completed
1: <laughs> yeah that's a great <laughs> question so so we built just to give you a sense for for timing on this we have 1300 miles in our in our district 1300 miles of fiber to build and we just finished our first construction season 2023 and As you know, it has been a tremendous success. We've been able to connect 58 customers as of today. Um, and we built 202 miles. So that's 202 of 1300 miles. We do know that next year should give us more miles. Um, but it is really dependent on the workforce development that is availability of crews. And it's also dependent on the availability of funds, funds being um, private loan, um, private loans, public funds, as well as revenues. So it, it also is dependent in part on weather and other environmental factors. So um, these things are all connected. We do not know when the network will be completed. However, we know that we will. We will continue building through this winter. We will build um, all of next season, and we expect seed funding to come in for construction in 2025, so next year. And if I were to wave a magic wand, I would anticipate that we would build through 26 or perhaps 2027, depending on the availability of all of these factors I mentioned. And this would get us to all of the unserved and underserved and then we get to move into areas that have service for the competitive edge.
0: Yeah, it is it is uh, so a long way to go and I'm I'm one of the early uh, beneficiaries of this. Tell us and I know you had an announcement a recent announcement in Callus where you've been stringing a lot of fiber. So tell us sort of which communities are getting hooked up first and who's going to have to wait for you to get there. I know I have a friend in Orange, Vermont, who, you know, is, is texting me on a weekly basis wondering when she's going to get hooked up.
1: Yeah. So our network is not built town by town. Rather, it's built distribution area by distribution area. Right. And Right. So, so remember earlier where we were talking about tech. I explained that we think of it as like a sunrise, and that and that this is speed of light. Well, the light only goes so far. So, what we're doing is we're building distribution by distribution area, and in each distribution area um, includes parts of some town. So, so yes, we we initially opened up our um, we initially opened up our build to Calis, but we are continuing to construct in um, in Calais, Middlesex, Worcester, Woodbury, and as you know, in East Montpelier. So that does not mean that every address within those five communities will have high-speed internet during our first phase. That means that within the distribution area, and they're shaped kind of the, in part to follow um, how... Far the light travels in part dealing with the difficult terrains, hills, valleys, streams, etc. So, so we we will continue building in those five commu- those five communities. Um, and it, it, what I would recommend to listeners to potential subscribers is to go onto cvfiber.net and place in your address, and we will tell you what distribution area you're in and when you might expect to get um constructed too. Now it's going to be a bit um a bit unpredictable um for addresses that are not currently being constructed, but for the distribution areas that we're currently constructing, we have a bit more predictability.
2: Okay.
0: We uh, uh have a call from Rich in Starksboro who wanted a question. Rich, if you're there, uh welcome to the show. Good morning, Kevin, and good morning to your guest.
2: Um it's it's my understanding that uh there's some competition coming in from the private sector while some of these uh CUDs are building out their fiber network and um so it's kind of become like a sort of like a California gold rush among the uh develop the 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 um layout folks of of the fiber um Truth, trying to get be first to the different localities to get the fiber started. Last week, uh, um, Auditor of Accounts Doug Hopper was on, and he suggested it might have been a more effective methodology versus the way the legislature came up with this act would be to just have the state take over the state of Vermont, take over the whole state, lay out the fiber for the whole state, um, and then lease out the, the infrastructure to either the public or these. Uh, the the private sector uh, Internet providers or maybe even some public, quasi-public type ones. Uh, Any comments on that from your guests?
0: Danielle, go ahead. Thanks for the call, Rich.
1: Thank you very much, Rich, for that question. Um, uh, Yes, we do have competition. So what happened here is that when suddenly the the, – the private sector saw the interest in building out to rural areas. Um, there was a rush to get built in uh in several of the what you would say low hanging fruit. So the the best of the worst. <laughs> so what we did see is that some of these um private um um competitors came in and built out as quickly as possible in the areas that were on the outskirts of where they had already built. Uh, but not up in the most difficult rural areas. So um, we are we are noticing what the bottom line um, result is that now our per-address cost or per-passing or per-address cost to build is actually about 35% higher than what initially um, considered 18 months ago. So it is having a, a – a, a, and that's just for my district. I, I can't speak for – for, uh the entire state but yes the competition came in and it is it is challenging our our business model and so we are we are we are feeling the impact of of that competition uh, the second thing that uh rich you had mentioned is would it have been effective for the state to build and what you're referring to is called it's dark fiber or it's it's open fiber that can be leased to um, a a private or a public um, entity and share share that fiber amongst all. Um, it, it is one option that the the state could have taken over that um, and done the entire state design. There's some benefit to having this within the district so that the individual towns can determine um uh, the 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 build the plan the um and 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 the individual districts can have more control over it on a local level traditionally the utilities have worked more on a on a local level rather than on a state level because of the um because of the benefit of having local control local management so that's why it was designed this way. The question about whether dark fibers still make sense for sharing is a question that we're still looking to to answer so that, uh, so that the, so that anybody could come in and put their fiber in. And right now the policies, statewide policies are being developed that we will use industry standards so that it doesn't prevent others from coming in to the network. So we are, we are on a policy level and Practically, when constructing, looking at those standards that will allow others to come in, uh, rather than have it um, outside of industry standard or exclusive to the district, if if that makes sense. So, so it's it's available. It's not prohibited at this point, but it's also not required to have the dark fiber.
0: You know, uh, the private sector versus public sector uh, choice is an interesting one. Uh, because you can, just like those of us where I live in East Montpelier, who are uh, members of the Washington Electric Co-op, uh, there's a lo- there's a buy local aspect to this. It seems to me, when you can, if you go with CV Fiber, you're you're going with a, a local option with a local board uh, that is run by your neighbors, as opposed to say Comcast, which is. You know, I don't know how many times I called them and just begged them for uh, service. And, you know, the private sector likes likes to come in when it's easy. And CV fiber, with the help of federal dollars, is doing the hard work. And, you know, I I would think that a lot of people would prefer to go with CV fiber uh, because, they're you know they're doing the work and you know the people who sit on the board in your, in your town
1: sure and w- sure um th- that there there is absolutely a benefit to locality to to having the local involvement and uh, and one of, one of the things that rich had pointed to is state state versus local like so state versus the um, the CUD, and we we do actually have a very strong partnership with the state. The state is overseeing the builds. So so although we are locally controlled and each CUD is local to its communities, member communities, uh, there is a strong oversight with policies um, by the state. So so we do we do actually have the benefit of this of the state involvement in our model.
0: Okay. Uh well, Janelle, where can people sign up? Uh let's give them a reminder. I would remind people that I signed up for the $79 a month plan which is 100 megabits per second. Uh and, but there's even faster uh plans available in the 1 minute we have left. Tell us tell people how fast they can get it and where they can sign up.
1: Yep, you can get up to residences can get up to 2 gigs. For 199 a month, that's the that's the hot the highest end residential. We also have business packages, and um, and the place you go is cbfiber.net. You can sign up for updates, and you can put your address into the website and find out what distribution area you're in. You can also look at all of our residential and business commercial services on our website and keep up to date on things that are happening within CB Fiber.
0: And with any luck, uh, you'll, you'll get uh, some friendly uh, folks pulling that fiber through your backyard, hooking it up to the pole, and then somebody like Carl, as in my life, uh, will give you a call and say, okay, we're ready to go. Tell us which package you want. Uh, Janelle Smith, Executive Director of CV Fiber, uh, thank you for delivering Internet to my house, and uh, we'll see you down the road. We appreciate you coming on.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Have a great day.
0: Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk to talk to Jim Condos about threats to public officials. I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.